can, uh, sorry, my sign is small. Note the program updates are now online. You can refer to the Education Week homepage on the front cover of your schedule booklet for the link. Please be sure that your cell phones are either turned off or silenced before we begin. Please note that audio and video recordings of Education Week are not allowed, nor is any food allowed in this venue. Please review these and other classroom etiquette items on page 47 of your booklet. And now we have Brother Robert Ballmer from Roy Utah to Mark 
there, if you take your phone out and just scan that with your camera, it'll create a little link that you, you click and it'll open in an internet window if you have signal. And we're going to use this a couple times here if it works well. It's a little bit of a trial, uh, technically. Uh, but once it comes up, you'll see this question, what is the best thing about education? This is our little test run to see if this will behave for us. So you go ahead and answer that question. It should hopefully populate onto our screen. We'll see again if it behaves in doing that. I see answers coming in, so I don't see them on the big screen. Give it a moment. There it comes. So this is this is what's uh, it's, it's kind of different, going by different names. It, it's it's a word diagram. So as you answer, the bigger words are the things that people are saying multiple times. So the larger the word, the more times that word has been said. And yes, wow, okay, it's like a lot of the same things. Yes, you meant brownies on there. <laughs> I have not found that yet. And I, I love that learning has come into the the highlights. Absolutely fantastic. Okay, you guys are good at this. This will be fun. Let's try a new one. Let's try uh, maybe a little more of a challenging question. What is truth? So the new poll should have shown up in a succinct way. They can only give you 25 or 30 characters. What is truth? Oh, done. We finished. It's like that's getting a lot of traffic today. That's law. Love that. <laughs> the fairest gem. Say what is true. Uh, clarity, undisputed. Ooh, that's a that's an insightful one. Uh, something right. Truth is feeling. I love that. That is great. Okay, I, I would let that run longer, but uh, but we'll try to fill in a little bit off of that. All right, one one last one, one last one, and this one's a little more open-ended. Uh, I'll let it run for just a moment, though. What is a mirror? How would you describe that in a succinct way? This isn't going to create a word diagram. This one will actually just put up some of your answers so that you can see what some of your fellow audience members might be saying. A gift from God. God's hand. Love that. Evidence of God's love. Terrific. Something that shouldn't be possible. Well, that's an interesting one. A gift. Unexplained help from God. See, I could just let this run the whole time. So much insight regarding your own experiences and, uh, and things that you have received in your life about miracles. Now, one last thing about Slido, and you can keep uh, letting your, your answers there roll in. If you're looking at your app, you'll see a little Q&A box. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and switch us back over to the presentation here because I want to show you on the, on the app, that little Q&A box that you see, we'll see if my pointer works, it does. So you see that guy? If you click on that, that will be open the rest of the time I'm talking, and you can submit questions there throughout the talk. At the end, I probably won't have a ton of time at the end because we did have a little bit of a slower start, but I would love to answer a few of those questions. You won't see each other's questions. I will see them on my screen here. That'll give us a way to interact a little bit by the end of the talk. Again, uh, time permitting, okay? Alright, so let's launch into uh, some perspectives of mine about what a miracle is and this concept of science and God and the intersections there. So, a miracle could be a lot of things, but I, I like to think of miracles.
miracles category. So one category, for instance, would be miracles of ideation. This is where you have an idea, figure something out. Invention is often seen as a miracle in this particular way. Miracles of coincidence. A lot of people don't like that word, okay? They think not coincidence, it's, it's actually God's hand at work. And then that's fine, but just think about the dissection of that word, coincidence. It is indicating something that happens simultaneously, and in our case, if it's a miracle of coincidence, it's a miracle of two things that would not logically have happened simultaneously. A great example, uh, a week or so ago, my wife, who serves in the Relief Site Presidency, she needed to reach out to a sister, uh, a sister that was having a really difficult uh, situation happen in her life in our ward. And she had a very busy day, and through her circuitous route of many events, ended up landing on the doorstep of this sister at the same exact time as another member of the ward who was completely unconnected and had their own thousands of things. And they both were able to come in and spend time providing some counsel and some comfort to the sister. So simple, right? But yet the coincidence of that particular situation was a miracle of relief for that sister. The others would be miracles of transformation. This is where the vast majority of the Savior's miracles in his ministry would fall, where something changes from one state to another without the ability for us to understand or explain. Miracles showing God's hand. We had a really great definition of miracles from El Razban a couple conferences ago when he says miracles are divine acts, manifestations, and expressions of God's limitless power and an affirmation that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We also know the very well-loved verse in Moroni 7 about how miracles have not ceased. He actually asks the question whether they have and points out they have not as the Holy Ghost will not be withheld in terms of that particular miraculous power on the earth. And so I'm going to give you some evidence for that power of the Holy Ghost that is not strictly bound as it comes to miracles of ideation, at the very least, throughout the entire ages of time that we have record for. So if you consider divine direction in major scientific discoveries, indiscriminate of theological belief system, you can see folks like Charles Towns, who was the inventor of the laser, acknowledging God's hand is like, I'm going to read these, but I'm actually just going to flash them up and uh, let you see them and find a picture of them. But it's, it's just a way of helping you understand that there are, um, there are so many instances of invention that are miraculous to most of us who may not understand their inner workings that came about through some divine guidance and inspiration and is often acknowledged. So I have a little parable on this front because as it turns out, when it comes to miracles or anything else difficult to explain in this world or universe, we have sort of two often competing forces, the force of understanding through scientific study and the force of explanation through gospel learning or through revelation. And so I have a little parable, it's a little silly, so bear with me, but a parable of what I call fish scientists. So we live in a world, we'll say here, where very little is known about fish. And so one particular fish scientist moves by a beautiful stream. And in his cabin there by the stream, he lives. The stream is full of these fish. And so he goes out and he fishes for them. 
And he is a really good fisherman, so he catches a lot of these fish, and he learns all types of things about them. He learns what they taste like, because he, he eats the fish. He learns their guts, their inner workings. He learns things about what works best to catch them. And once he collects enough of this knowledge through his methods of observation, he goes to, where else? A really awesome fish conference. And at the fish conference, he stands up in front of the people and talks about all the amazing things he's learned about fish. He even has his cool laser pointer. And so people listen, and they, they are in awe. Oh my goodness, look at these insights. A lot like you, right? Feeling, feeling now. Uh, so he gets done with his talk. People, people feel so, so inspired, so enlightened by what he said. And he's walking back down to his seat when the next presenter gets up. It just so happens this is another fish scientist. This fish scientist, however, is taking a different approach to understanding fish. He built a cabin by a lake. And by that lake, he took the method of observation of taking a scuba dive into the lake and observing the fish. He caught some of the fish and had them in a little tank. He studied them. He learned things about the behavior, the habitat, the life cycle. So many insights through his methods. And yet, these two fish scientists had a lot to disagree about. I mean, one of them had studied by the stream and had gained all this insight about what the fish eats at certain times of day and how it tastes and its inner workings, and the other took a totally different approach and learned completely different things about the fish. And in all of their arguments, they never came to a settlement. They returned home and never realized that their two study zones were connected by a river, by the same stream. And then this debate over one way to see things and another way to see things, one way to study them and another way to study them, was really so firmly tied at the ground of truth that they never took the time to realize it. There's this great, great quote from John Adelixo uh, who says, scientific truth cannot be theological lie. To the same mind, theology and philosophy must harmonize. They have a common ground truth on which to be. These two silly little story of fish scientists are the kind of examples we don't want to be. We want to live in this world in a way that gives us access to truth through all available avenues. And knowing how to navigate that is what I hope to provide a little insight in the remaining time we spend today. So this connection between science and religion. Here's another quotey slide that I'm not going to read all to you, but I love this Einstein quote. Einstein gets quoted a lot and gets confused a lot about his theological perspectives, but I mean, you can't go wrong with this statement. Science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. So there's, there is truth to be found holistically between both methods of exploration. This is an even better quote from President Nelson. He was Elder Nelson, and he came and dedicated the UAU Life Sciences Building just down the road here. He said, there is no conflict between science and religion. Conflict only arises from an incomplete knowledge of either science or religion or both. All truth is part of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether truth comes from a scientific laboratory or by revelation from the Lord. It is so I want to present a diagram to help put this a little more into perspective for you. Now this is admittedly 
a bit too deep of a dive into my really strange mind, all right? So I hope you will bear with me for a moment that uh, there, there might be something insightful here. It's just one piece of, of what I will display in the next few slides, okay? So let's start simply with a dot. This dot is going to be the center of a circle. But before we draw the circle, I want to highlight what I would call some truth. This truth is the truth that we all know. It is indisputable truth. It is things like plants grow. Indisputable. The sun warms. We breathe. The Book of Mormon is real. That is an absolute truth. I tell that to the youth that I speak with all the time, that here's the good news. You already know the Book of Mormon is real. Everyone does. There's no debating it. It exists. It's what you do with that truth that matters. It's whether you go forward through what it takes to determine whether it is also a true book of Scripture. But knowing that it is real and exists, that is a truth that is unavoidable. And so are many others that we have in the world. Okay? That's what we have. We all have that piece of truth. Now, that truth is part of a perfect circle. That perfect circle representing the whole truth. That's everything. No boundaries between any ways in which that truth was applied. So the center point that we started with, that's where it all started, was with God, who is at the center of all truth. There's this magnificent quote from Elder Christofferson. He says, by these things, then, we know that truth exists, that it represents a fixed and immutable reality, that unaided, the quantity of truth that mortals can discern is relatively small, the sum truth part. That we depend on the help of divine revelation to learn the truth of all things. And that we and God depend on truth to act and create. Otherwise, there is no existence. Elsewhere, we also learn that truth does not conflict with truth, but that indeed all truth may be circumscribed into one great whole. That one great whole is represented by this perfect circle. So where does science live in this? Well, science, aside from contributing a great deal of our sum truth, may seek to explain more of the truth than they can prove. So this would be theory. And I relate this to drawing this circle with your eyes closed. So let's say you don't get the circle there. You only have the sum truth. You know it's part of a whole truth circle, but you have to guess because you only have so much information. So it's like putting your pencil right onto this part right here at the top of the line, and then closing your eyes and drawing a circle. And if you did that, it would probably look something like this. Okay? That's a pretty good one, actually. A little powerful. So one of the interesting things about this is that no matter how hard some people may try to resist, even incomplete scientific explanation has been don't be swayed by the standout, loud scientists of the world that make a point, that make a dogmatic declaration about atheism. They are odd and rare. It is by far the majority of those deeply entrenched in just about any scientific discipline that see God's hand at its center, regardless of how they interpret theologically where he lies. So, coming back to this whole truth circle, I want to compare the difference between what we created with scientific theory and attempt at whole truth to what the whole truth is. So, first of all, 
This area highlighted in blue. These are the things that the truths that science will never be able to explain. No matter how much evidence we can gather in that methodology, we will not be able to explain why behind virtually anything. Consider that in the U.S. alone, more than 60,000 PhDs are awarded each year in science, technology, engineering, and math disciplines. That's, think about this for a moment. More than 300,000 person years of research every single year. That much unknown is being studied in scientific methodology every single year, and just in the US. There is far more out there to know than we will ever have the reach for through scientific methods. So what about this area? This would be the area where things are wrong. And, and by the way, I have the scriptures listed for your reference to go to, because I have one nine, a terrific one, that you know, man will not comprehend all the things which God can comprehend, is what uh, the ending of that verse is. And then 2 Nephi 9, where the cunning plan of the evil one, babies and the frailties and foolishness of men, when they are learned, they think they are wise, and they hearken not to the counsel of God. Those are the things science has wrong. We have a lot of examples in the history of this, a lot of them in the last hundred years, even. Hand washing, bloodletting, 200 years ago. All of the flat earth philosophies, clean water. You know, you would be surprised that we're just over a hundred years from when uh, we finally came to realize that a great deal of disease spread and other unhealthy conditions came from unclean water. So there's so much that we felt strongly about and can devise as we were. Let me give you one kind of example that's very close to home for me. It comes from research that happens in my research lab at Duke. So it's not just that science may insist on something that is actually wrong. It's also how that finding in science gets communicated. So I would probably guess most of you here are not scientists. Because you probably looked, if you were, and said, this guy's not going to tell me anything I don't know. But if you're not scientific, then when you read scientific discoveries, you're probably reading them as they pass through the hands of the media. It's been translated even within an organization. How do we communicate this in a way that others will appreciate or understand? So here's an example. In my lab, one of the things we do is study printed electronics from nanomaterials. That is as cool as it sounds, okay? So here's a video of our aerosol jet printer printing HMBC-coded silver nanowires. Again, super cool, right? A bunch of words that don't mean as much as it sounds like they might. But it was a really excellent discovery made by one of my PhD students that you can make these liquid inks of this material and you can print it onto things like paper, plastic, or, and I didn't exactly approve this, but he did print it onto his finger. And that when you print it even onto skin, where you can't put it in an oven and bake it afterwards, which is often necessary, he proved something we did not know before. He proved that you can take these specially coated silver nanowires, print them onto human skin, not put it in an oven, and still be able to use those printed wires to light uh, by the main diet. Okay? So if you bend his fingers, and this light comes on, and it makes a super cool video, and a really great scientific publication, right? So here's where it gets interesting. I mean, maybe that was already interesting. But it gets really interesting because what we said as researchers is that we developed a new ink for printing conductive features at room temperature. 
What was heard slash reported is quite different. First, you found more common technical news outlets. Electronic tattoos and bandages with biosensors could become a reality. All he did was print conductive traces. It is so far from being an electronic tattoo or bandage, but everyone loved that idea. This one got real weird. Some videos on YouTube, people started to see things that they're prophesied in the book of Revelation. I had no idea my lab was this powerful until I read this comment. And then, the really top it off, I got a phone call from a British radio station called The Unexplained, which typically deal with paranormal activity. <laughs> they wanted to talk about this idea of printing things onto human skin and where the world was going in this direction. So you take this one relatively straightforward scientific finding, and just by churning it through the communication mill, you have a lot of misunderstanding and confusion. Another example I don't dwell a lot on, but uh, I call it a panic scientist experience. I'm the panic scientist. I'm not taking any positions on this. There's some political charge to these issues, but early in the pandemic, some of you may be familiar with the uh, media attention around hydroxychloroquine, or HCQ, as a treatment for COVID-19. Uh, again, I have nothing to say to you whether that's right or wrong. I will tell you, though, that I woke up one morning in just a cold sweat of nervousness when I realized that I, as a scientist, able to consume the most direct scientific publications on record, had no idea what was true about this situation. I heard noise in both directions. I heard a lot of claims, adamant ones, irrefutable sounding ones, in both directions. And I was in this it was such an uncomfortable experience to feel like I had the ability to access what would be true and yet have complete inability to get to that point. So it did bring to mind a second verse to a well-loved hymn. He's yes saying what is true. Tis the brightest promise to which mortals or gods can aspire. Go search in the depths where it glittered lies or ascend in pursuit to the loftiest skies. Tis an aim the noblest desire. And to me, that morning, it was an aim of noblest desire that was never really realized. So coming back to the truth boundaries diagram, we kind of wrap up some of our discussion around this. So only the Word of God can lead us to the whole truth. That's the why, how, what, when, etc. So that brings to mind this awesome engineering architectural tool. So I hope some of you have Use this tool. It's, it's really appropriately called the compass. We'll see how magnificent this is in just a moment. So this is the compass. And if you've never used it before, it, I have a little, really terrible graphic uh, to show you. It goes like this. Okay? Fixed length upon that between the center, which is God, and the extent, which is the word of God. That's how far it extends. And then you use this, if you hold to the word of God, and you move in a steady course, you create the whole truth. Okay? So, what does this end up looking like? I'm not going to read all of this, but I highlight the parts I want to put out. You should know these verses likely pretty well. This is Alma 37, the description of the Leona. Here's the great part. You know what we call the Leona also? A compass. So, you take a compass called the Leona, and when they first received it, they saw that it was uh, something that could put them on the course which they should travel. 
So it was a guide to them. And they had this miracle. They call it a miracle. These spindles moved, and it was magnificent. It was marvelous, even. But because it was by small means, familiarity grew, and simplicity replaced miraculousness. And so they forgot to exercise faith and diligence and did not travel in a direct course. Even so it is with things that are spiritual. The word of Christ, the word of God, is a straight course. And if we follow it, just like the director or compass, it will lead us to all truth. So there's that diagram on the right. So straight course is important. That way I wanna, one of the takeaways, the side points I wanna make to you about this, all the discussion we've had so far about miracles, you likely have had in your mind some memory of your own miracles. I would challenge you to not just collate a list of things you have not been able to explain, but to never exclude the ones that you can explain. In other words, just because you come to understand how it works does not change that it is miraculous. And what makes it miraculous is the question we'll end on in just a moment. But Leona is curious workmanship. And yet, even with those marvelous works, familiarity turned it into a small and simple thing. Familiarity, technological capability, should never compromise God's miraculous workings in our lives. So don't let this happen to your miracles. All right, coming back to the compass. So another verse uh, that is in Alma, this is Alma 37, uh, the same kind of uh, segment of earlier in the chapter. It may suffice if I only say they are preserved for a wise purpose, which purpose is known unto God, for he doth counsel in wisdom over all his works, and his paths are straight, and his course is one eternal realm. Now, before you think I'm completely out of my mind on the next slide, think about how something can both be straight and a, a round, an eternal round. How does that work? How does something qualify both of those conditions? So I want to take those two conditions and offer a suggestion of how to think about this that ties into this whole diagram I'm showing This is you and me. We are humans. We move in what are known as Cartesian coordinates. That means we move mostly in an XY plane, two dimensions, unless you can jump and my dimension is not super high, but that is the main way that we navigate our world, right? So how does that compare to how God may move? And I put moves in quotes because it's really talking about finding truth here. So here's a suggestion. Polar coordinates. Now, here I have what those are, or I try to forget them as soon as I learned them. It's okay. There's two main features. The polar coordinate system has an R length that extends from the origin, and it's just a certain length R. And it has an angle phi. And it turns out that as this angle moves, it moves in a 360-degree way so that it sweeps a full circle out of a straight path. So moving a straight path in phi creates a perfect circle in these coordinates. So this constant r is, I love it, called a ray because that has light connotations. And there's great scripture in Isaiah that talks about God's ways are not man's ways. These are not God's ways, right? So how would this connect if the ray were the word of God 
and we brought it back to our truth boundaries diagram. Well, the Word of God is fixed, immutable. That's what Miller Christopherson had highlighted from other words of Scripture. So if we sweep, and forgive the PowerPoint limited physics here, I'm supposed to sweep the other direction, but if you sweep it, it will create a perfect circle. Without changing that immutable Word of God, you will capture and identify the whole truth. That is a strict path. A path, by the way, that does not move to the right or the wrong, as Alpha 7 verse 20 says. That God's course is one eternal round that neither moves to the right or the left or the right or the wrong ways. The further connection, and you guys already knew this in your word diagram in the beginning, that truth is light. The word of truth is light. And so this overall connectivity to what truth is, I think, comes full circle. Now, what is that? That's the way a whole lot of us move. Right? A whole lot of shaking on the right or the left, going beyond the things that we really could understand, or holding back from others that we have the opportunity to embrace, scientifically or theologically. Accessing the full truth requires a perfect complement, and God gives the tools for achieving that complement. So, bringing this all together to summarize, I think we'll have to give you a few minutes for questions. Scientific truth and gospel truth are part of the same whole. Embracing the Word of God with faith, which means action, right? I mean, could we ever make the circle if you chose not to move? If you chose to just embrace what you have? The article of faith is so clear that one of the beauties of the gospel is that we will yet have revealed to us many plain and important truths relating to the Embrace movement through faith. And finally, be careful not to let understanding something diminish its divinity, its miraculousness. So if you take this diagram and you come to the premise of this entire session, what makes miracles miraculous, you don't need any of this stuff. This was fun to draw, obviously. But ultimately, what makes miracles miraculous is God. It's why understanding a miracle does not change its divine origins. Recognizing that God facilitates any and all truth that we learn, that we harness, and that we continue to grow, makes us beings that recognize His hand in all things. Just because you may understand a small amount of how should never compromise the miraculous when, where, and why of all. So long as science is the pursuit of truth about the universe, it will never be complete without God. And finally, hold fast to the word of God, the compass that will lead you in a straight course to the eternal ground of all truth. Truth is common ground for science and theology. Remember our friends from the beginning in the purple fish? Path to all truth is straight yet round and Wonderful words to end on. We're studying in just a few weeks. And come follow me. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. That's the practical takeaway. If you rely on God, willing to see that he can work in all spirits, all methods, all empirical approaches, and religious ones, 
you will have greater access to all truth. Okay, I want to take some of your questions. I've seen them rolling in, but with a distracted eye uh, to my side. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put this up onto the screen so that you can see and even submit more. Let's see, what show? It might show the questions once I've highlighted some. And um, let's see here. Give me a second. Because I'm a little new at this. And you're welcome to submit other questions right now as I look through these ones to, to review, by the way. But you just have to go to that link and pull up the Q&A portion. And we'll spend the last 10 minutes going through these. But it is reloading, so you can give me just a second. Okay. So I don't know if I'll, if I'll be able to make it push the questions up to there. So forgive me for that. But feel free to submit them, and I will see them in front of me here. Um, Okay, here we go. How do light frequencies interact between people? How does light frequency from one person impact another? Now, notice we, we didn't get the chance to talk a ton about light here. This is where I, I get to, oh, there, it came up. I get to make a little bit of a commercial. Not to buy something, just to come back tomorrow. And I will talk more about light tomorrow. Okay, and we'll have solved our technical difficulties, I think. Um, and then the next day, we'll talk a little bit more about light, and then on Friday, we'll talk about how light enables you to be prepared to see Christ again at the second coming, even to see him as he is. So we'll talk about those things in those coming days more. But related to this question, light frequencies and interaction between people, oh my goodness, I love that. That's Thursday. I'll talk a lot about this question, by the way. But um, if you think about it, I've seen gentleman talking to you before uh, I started here. Uh, they had some magnificent insights about antennas and tuning our antennas to match the antenna of the source. If the source is God, tuning our antennas to become like Him and thereby receive more of the information that they transmit by His act to us. So I think there's a lot that could be said about that. I hope uh, you will stick with me in the coming days to talk more about it. Okay, so let's see. If you can explain a miracle, is it still a miracle? I hope I answered this one. And I know that a lot of what I shared is, is my perspective, but at the heart of it, it really comes back to recognition of how to tie to God all things that we observe or experience in this world. Okay? Let's see. I love, I love this part, so I'm going to say something about this, this question because I just love it. Uh, oh, it's so, so, quick funny story. I'll tell you, I'm a super sarcastic person, okay? So when I was on my mission, there was, I was loving studying uh, Book of Mormon, as said most missionaries all should, and hopefully most do, and uh, there was a missionary that asked me a question and said, I've heard that you feel like you know an answer to the dinosaur question. You know, what about the dinosaurs? But how do they all work out? Where does that fit in with, with the creation scheme again? I said, I, I do. I do. I know the answer. I said, so, so call me tonight and I'll tell you. Gene was a different part. So he called me and I said, okay, let's make me wait. What's the answer? So I'll tell you the answer, but, but I'm going to tell you the verse. And it's in the scriptures. And, and then you go to the verse and you will hang up because you need to have a moment with that verse. And then, and then you know, we'll talk about it tomorrow. And I okay, okay, fine. And so I said, Second Nephi chapter 2, verse 24. Okay? And all things have been done in the wisdom of him who knoweth all things. That's a deeply satisfying answer for a curious missionary. 
and for most people, right? And, and it's not to suggest that we shouldn't be trying to understand more things. It just makes it a whole lot that we don't, and that's okay. And all things are done and will be done in the wisdom of him. Him who knows all of those things, okay? So um, let's see. I, I love this question. I, I kind of briefly addressed this, but uh, there's a lot of studies out there about scientists and their, their theological perspectives. If you had any majority that falls out of most polls, the majority would be agnostic, which is not atheistic, by the way. It's simply an, an unwillingness to tie to a specific theological perspective. It's recognition of divinity. And I'm not saying it's good enough as it comes to having access to all truth, but it's a whole lot more than denying all divine in, involvement in, in the overall scheme of the universe and the truth that we find. So uh, this is another great one, and you'll see that I just, uh, I don't have answers to most of these, right? But is God bound by God? Is God being bound to something interesting thing to think about? Uh, I mean, we could just go so long talking back and forth about you know, Speaking of 2 Nephi 2, go to 2 Nephi 2 and think about this question, okay? Think about God working by laws. Think about God facilitating the fall through his of obedience to law. Now, creating law and then obeying law might be a little different thing to understand when we're asking questions about how bound one is to be trans law. So I think there's so much that, that can be talked about that. Um, <laughs> this is now my favorite question. Maybe my wife asked this one. <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling great. I'm feeling great. I hope you're all feeling great. That's terrific. Um, so this is, a, this is another great one. And does God break the laws of nature for some reason? Okay, so this is where we gain insight, especially from modern-day revelation and, and counsel from prophets. And the counsel is, is pretty consistent over the fact that God will not break laws. You know, the Book of Mormon likes this phrase, God will cease to be God. And then that also kind of brings back to 2 Nephi 2 a little bit there, also some of the teachings in Alma. God will not cease to be God. And so, what does that mean? How could he cease to be God? He must be trying, or, or we would think he would be doing something that is not consistent with what he has said. And his word is law and truth and light. And so consistency to his own laws, I think, is absolutely something we should embrace. This, by the way, is a rather unique aspect of our theology. I had a great discussion with a colleague of mine at Duke who's in the Divinity School there. And uh, he's not a member of our faith, and uh, he wanted to talk about light. He heard I like light, and so we had lunch together. And oh, he had so many really wonderful insights that I had not considered before. But in our conversation, I stated something as if it was easily embraceable fact. I said, well, isn't it wonderful to learn a little bit more about how God may be working? Because truly, he works by law that we are working to understand. He bristled a little bit when I said it, and he actually agreed to disagree that from most other Christian perspectives, God works by ways that we are never going to understand, by laws that might look like they're breaking things that we've come to understand. So there's a bit of a differing way that some folks view God and law and how he works by it. But I would, I would propose to you, 
does not work by breaking laws. Whether he works in a way that I might suggest, I mean, I'm just a really active and a little bit of a strange scientist. So I'm like, hey, maybe he did it this way. But I, I don't know. Most of the times, I don't know. But I do firmly believe that he works by laws that we have been given the power to understand. Maybe not perfectly, but some of those laws now. Okay, one, we've time to one, one more question here. Let's see, um, oh, this is, this is a, a great one because it, it does actually happen in spite of what I told you about the majority of scientists having belief that ties to divinity. How do you keep your faith from being shaken when people are trying to disprove God? Uh, such a terrific question, and there, there's, there's no perfect, succinct answer to this other than staying on that straight course, okay? The more you're willing to embrace that the source of ultimate truth is the Word of God, with faith that He can guide you amidst all else that is revealed, the more secure your faith will be. Have confidence there, okay? Well, one quick story I'll close with. My daughter, my, my oldest child, she's been working as an intern uh, in my research lab at Duke. Is she's a senior, rising senior in high school, and a little bit of nepotism there, but I don't pay her, so But uh, she comes in, and she learns all kinds of insightful things about my PhD students. It's like I put a spy in intentionally. That was not the plan. And uh, so she comes back and tells me things, and, and she tells me how enthralled my students are by my faith. And, and this is something I try to be very open with them and, and open to dialogue should they have interest in discussing. Um, and all PhD students from my lab gave a gift of the Book of Mormon when we graduate, uh, because I'm no longer in a position of, of authority where they would feel bound in a way that was appropriate to pursue, uh, unless they asked me before. So, so they've been asking all these questions. She's like, can I ask you questions? I think, like, why are you so the mission in, in Georgia? Why do you go to Georgia? Like, why didn't you go somewhere cool? Ah, is there a cooler place in all the world than Atlanta, Georgia? I had yet to find it. But, uh, but what was interesting is she, she didn't know what to say to that. Like, why, why would he serve a mission? Why would he do that? Like, why? Well, what's the, what's the central premise? And he has a lot of answers to that question, but, but it actually ties a little bit back to keeping our faith in this, this whole confusion, this illogical behavior that we all engage in. And when I said that to her, I said, you know, I, I think my answer to that is simply, if you found something that truly transformed you, that was a source of ultimate understanding and happiness, would you really not follow an available opportunity to share it? I mean, let's be honest. It's not like I just booked a ticket to the middle of nowheresville, meeting no one, having no idea what to do, and figuring some way to tell someone about what I felt. There was a whole opportunity in place for me. How could I not find a way to share those truths with others? It would seem irresponsible to do otherwise. Listen, you all have been fantastic. We have great other questions in there. I wish we could go through them. Um, instead of any clapping, I will close by telling you my testimony is that God is at the center. Take that.